sit down, grab a blanket, and snuggle up with your furry family, because it's time for Your Pet Matters with Dr. T of Progressive Veterinary Care, where Dr. Michael Takiwa will discuss everything you need to know to keep your fuzzy friends happy, healthy, and safe. Your Pet Matters is underwritten by Progressive Veterinary Care, 390 County Road, Route 518, Skillman. For more information online, it's ProgressiveVeterinaryCare.com. Here he is now, only on 107.7 The Bronx. Good morning and welcome to your pet matters right here on the Bronx 1077 the Bronx FM 1077 on your FM dial and 1077thebronc.com <laughs> interesting um, if you missed the shows don't worry about it we have a digital archive and I'm also podcasting this on iTunes and Buzzsprout. Okay, I wanted to talk about a couple things today. Um, I was just involved in a discussion, a webinar, about how people like me, who are general practitioners, or as I call them, day practitioners, can work with specialists. And this combination, this symbiotic relationship leads to better health outcomes for your pets, longer lives, better outcomes, which is what it is all about. That's the big thing about veterinary medicine. And so this is going to be a little bit of a educational process for veterinarians and vet team members, and it's going to be a little bit of an educational process for pet parents. So it's a little bit of everything um, for this. So Let's start from the beginning. Um, I am a veterinarian, and one of the main reasons why I went into the veterinary profession was because I like the whole concept of it being what I call a jack-of-all-trades. I love the fact that I can do surgery. I love the fact that I can do digital x-rays. I love the fact that I can prescribe drugs. I love the fact that I can look at eyes, ears, skin, behavior, everything, dentistry, anything like that. So that's what was appealing to me because I didn't want to do the same exact thing every day, day in and day out. But having said that, I'm a master of all, but true expert of none. And that is where specialists come to play. So people like me go, we get our university education as a veterinarian. And if we wanted to specialize, we would then take several more years to do an internship and a residency in the specialty of our choice, and they write the veterinary boards to be able to practice as a specialist. So there's a lot more education involved, a decade of education involved, a decade of experience, a decade's worth of skill. And with that comes the specialty medicine approach. So people like me, which are general practitioners, there's many things I can do, but there's many things I can't. For example, a lot of day practitioners are doing their own ultrasounds. And there are some that are phenomenal, don't get me wrong, but most of us are not capable of doing a phenomenal ultrasound. So if we needed that specialty ultrasound, today I had, to, um, I had my specialists, my internal medicine mobile specialist come in and do an abdominal ultrasound to Chaos, and Chaos is a senior pet who we're worried about what's going on in his abdomen. 
So I was able to take digital radiographs and it's unusual things being shown there. Is there a mass effect? Is there something else going on? And so um, the good news is that with the help of the specialist and her ability to use uh, the ultrasound, we found that there is no mass in the abdomen, which is, which is great news because that's one thing we were really worried about. So having that specialist to work with that case is important. And I have to, let me backtrack a bit, that, that, that chaos came to me as a second opinion because their regular GP vet was not able to give them the answers they sought when they did the ultrasound. So, you know, I explained to them the difference between having a specialist who does this 24-7 and someone like myself doing an ultrasound. And so, uh, you know, Thankfully, the, the pet parents were really good about this and uh, were able to get the right diagnostic tools utilized, and we have an answer. And that's what's phenomenal about this. So that is a, <clears throat> excuse me, that's a prime example of how people like me can work with specialists to lead to better medical outcomes. But this all started, this whole concept all started with a study done by a colleague of mine who's a cardiologist. And she published an article in the Journal of the American Veterinary Medical Association. And what a lot of articles are, there's what we call retrospective studies. They look at all these cases in the past that were done. And um, her name's Dr. Bonnie Lefbaum. She's a cardiologist. So she actually studied the... She looked at two things. That small dogs that are diagnosed with congestive heart failure, and she looked at if they were managed solely by a primary care veterinarian, a GP, a day practitioner, or by a cardiologist, a veterinary cardiologist, and a primary care veterinarian. And it's really outstanding uh, what the results show. They showed that dogs with congestive heart failure lived 77% longer. 77% longer. So if that doesn't convince you of the power, the symbiotic power, you know, it's like that old Super Friends cartoon, Wonder Twins activate. So your vet and the specialist are working together to get better outcomes for your pet. And for you veterinarian owners out there, I know that there, there's a lot of talk about, you know, keeping things what we call in-house. And I understand that. I understand the, you know, as corporations buy up a lot of practices and, you, and, you know, the, the number of practices that open up and you're always worried about, you know, in the end, we're, we are a business. We're in the business of pet health care. And there's always that concern about keeping your business doing well afloat even. And so there's a lot of talk about keeping things in-house. But here's the kicker, is that because the, the way the system worked, you have a primary care physician referring out to a specialist who then refers back to the primary care physician, that, that because that pet is being seen by both doctors, they're getting better health care, but they're also seeing you actually more often than they would alone if they were dealing with you alone. And it actually led to better margins for the veterinarians. So think about that as well. So it's a win-win situation. A win-win situation. 
And so how does all this begin? Well, the whole advice I would give to you young veterinarians out there is network, communicate, make ties, make uh, connections, whether you're a general practitioner or whether you're a specialist. Specialists should reach out to the general practitioners that they service in that area. And general practitioners, make it a point to actually get to know who that specialist is, no matter what field they're in, because that communication usually leads to camaraderie, which usually leads to better referrals, more trusted referrals. I'm fortunate that I know several specialists that I will reach out to and refer to. I will even reach out to them with questions of cases that may not and result in referral. And I want to keep those connections alive. I call it be the pain in the butt. Keep being a pain in the butt. Keep in touch. Make those connections. And guess what? When you go to a conference or you're locally, you'll run into them, you know, um, thank them, take them out for dinner, buy them a coffee, buy them a beer, whatever it is, make that connection because it will be so much more beneficial to both parties and to the patient care. So make your networks. Make your networks. Um, So we'll take a short break right now, and then we'll come back and I'll talk about exactly how that process works and what things to, for you um, practitioners out there to explain, or you veterinary team members to explain to the clients. That's important, I think, when you're talking about referral. And then I'll talk about where I think that future of this whole process is going. So stay tuned right here on Your Pet Matters. 107.7 on the FM, 107.7 thebronc.com. We're back with Your Pet Matters with Dr. T of Progressive Veterinary Care, discussing everything you need to know to keep your furry friends happy, healthy, and safe. Only on 107.7 The Bronc. Hey, welcome back. I just wanted to more elaborate on that whole concept of the collaboration between a general practitioner or day practitioners like myself and specialists and how it actually enhances the length and quality of your pet's lives. Um, But I wanted to talk about the process, right? So when does it take place? How does it take place? What are things that both the veterinary team members need to know and pet parents need to know? And so typically it involves both the capabilities and skill and, uh, you know, confidence of your, your general practitioner their, their ability to have the equipment, et cetera, that can do certain things. So I think that's just, a, it's variable across the board. Um, I know some veterinarians who don't do surgery. I know some veterinarians who do severely involved surgery. So it's all relative to that um, and how we go. But typically, so let, let me talk about this typical standard case of referral to a, a specialist and how it's going to help your pets. Number one is that you, you need a diagnosis. You need a diagnosis of something that is fairly severe. So let, let's say you need a diagnosis of cancer. Um, let's say it is a severe tumor in an area that your general practitioner is not able to perform surgery on. So the way I work this out is, first and foremost, I reach out to my mobile surgeon. Um, they are skilled, they're board certified, they can do the the surgery um, needed. And in many cases of cancer, that's your first step is to do surgical intervention. 
let me backtrack. We, we, when we diagnosed, we actually did an aspirate and got a definitive answer of what it is. Then we're talking about the known cancer, what we're going to do. The second thing I do is actually reach out to oncology people I know to, again, talk about the process to better educate my clients about what is involved. And then we have to have a discussion with the client about what our options are, right? Because you never want to say, okay, you got to do this, 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 without knowing exactly what's involved. And in many cases, the discussion of finances has to come up because it is, it is not uncommon that performing a surgery by a boarded specialist, going to a boarded oncologist and getting whatever cancer treatment you need, you're talking big, you're talking thousands of dollars there. So it's incredibly important that whoever is discussing this with clients, and especially if you're doing it in the format you're referring it out to a referral center, is that you at least have a rough discussion about the finances. Many specialists I know will actually give me a rough ballpark about what the clients are supposed to expect. So we need to have that discussion because you never want to send a client out there and they're just blindsided by the cost. That's incredibly important. The other thing is expectations of what the whole process is going to be. So in this case that I'm using, we're talking about surgical intervention. We're talking about um, oncology consult and what that can lead to, whether it's chemotherapy, radiation therapy, whatever it is, that should be discussed with the client. And for you clients, you know, in many cases, it all depends on what you're capable and willing to do. Unlike human medicine, where we get a diagnosis of cancer, you are then taken down this set of steps that will lead to a lot of, you know, chemotherapy sessions, anything that the, the whole concept is we're going to break you down to build you up to save your life. And in the pet world, don't forget, you have choice. You can start a process. You can stop a process. There are options to do at each stage. So that is the process. But, but what you need to understand as pet parents is that by utilizing specialty with general practitioners, you get much better medical outcomes. And a great example of this is, is cardiology. Cardiology pet patients under the care of both their cardiologist and their general practitioner live longer, healthier lives. And I could, I could actually talk about any sort of any sort of uh, concept. There's our internal medicine diseases that, um, you know, my, my patients will flip between me and, and internal medicine and we, we do better care. And we do better care because in, the, the patient has been a patient of mine for a long time and then becomes a patient of a specialist. And so now you have two heads that, um, thinking about the problem, two heads that communicate well. So a tip to those veterinarians, I, I touched on this before, is it's incredibly important to build your network, but continue that communication. So th there's going to be times where you have sent a pet or a pet has arrived at a specialty center and they're under the care of a specialist that you may not know. It's very important to have a discussion with them. One-on-one -on -one discussion, discuss what's, what's all about so you could actually give better informed answers to your, your pet parents. Um, and so where do, where do I see the future of this going? Well, there's a lot of specialists graduating every year, a lot and a lot of them. And in my opinion, this is my opinion of how things are going to go. There's not enough specialty centers to house all these specialists. And as you get these 
it's interesting because my whole concept with these one-stop shop concepts, I understand it. That's the trend now. You go to this big facility where there's grooming, there's pet food, pet sales, toys, whatever. There's a veterinarian, and um, it's all under one roof. And there can even be specialty, and it's all under one roof. The difficulty I find with this is it's it's more of a corporate ex- approach. I think the I think the the future for someone like me who owns a, a day practice is to have either mobile specialists that come in, which we have now, and I would kill if anyone's out there that is dermatology, ophthalmology. I would kill to have a mobile component of that come to my practice. I think I think that could plan well for a lot of the practices in the area. But I think that. Day practitioners are going to have a lot of specialists either come once a week and hang there for a day or come mobile and be part of that uh, process because I think that's going to be the way things are. So that's my take on specialty and um, day practitioners and how things will bode for the future. I think it's great. I think it's just, I think I'm excited about this whole process. I, I love having... The specialists come in. I learn things every time they come in. They provide the top-notch care and service to my patients and the clientele. And we just do better medicine. And there's a lot of good outcomes from that. So I'm really happy with that. Okay, let's take a short break. And we'll come right back after this. Every weekend, you'll find a project to get involved with. And sometimes, it'll include your scaly or furry partner in crime. From Your Pet Matters with Dr. T, it's time for Producer's Pet Project. Your go-to for pet news, recall alerts, adoption services, and overall helpful tips and tricks to keep your best Hello, everyone. I hope you're enjoying this episode of Your Pet Matters. I'm your producer, Wade Buchanan, and today I want to take a different approach to the Your Pet Matters because I usually talk about dogs, cats, ETC, but um, I want to shift the direction into more of our scaly friends. So here are some supplies that some owners might need if they plan on getting a snake. Uh, Number one is a snake cage. Um, It's the most important item of all, and there are many options available when choosing a cage for your snake. You can use a glass terranium with a screen lid, or you can use a plastic enclosure specifically designed for snakes. Either of these could work well as long as they're set up properly. Most importantly, your snake's cage must be totally escape proof. The snake will explore its new habitat constantly, and if it finds a way out, it will be gone before you know it. Um, Number two is heating devices. A heating device should also be on your list of pet snake supplies to purchase. Like all reptiles, snakes depend on their environment to regulate their body temperatures. This is something that makes reptiles different from mammals like you and me. When humans can regulate our body temperature from within, but reptiles cannot. As a result, you must provide some type of heat for your pet snake. Temperature requirements vary from one species to another, so the first thing you need to do is research the particular snake. If you are keeping to find out what temperature it needs, once you do this, you would then need to use some kind of heating device to achieve the proper temperatures of your snake cage. The two most popular ways to heat snake cages are from under tank heaters and heat lamps. I prefer lamps, simply because they're easier to replace, uh, but both options are covered. It's also wise to invest in rheostat, which is similar to dimer switch on a lamp. 
you plug in your heating device to the rheostat and then you could dial the output up or down as needed. This allows you to achieve the exact temperature you want inside the cage. Number three is snake hides. Your shopping list for pet snakes supplies should also include some hiding areas. A snake hide is a type of cage furniture allowed that, allow, that allows the animal to conceal itself. You can purchase these from a reptile supply store or you can make your own. Snakes in the wild spend a lot of their time hiding under rocks or logs or in burrows created by other animals. If you ever put your pet snake into a cage environment where it has nowhere to hide, you are preventing it from following its natural instincts. As a result, your pet snake could become stressed over time. Stress in reptiles is something that you do not want to see, but it can eventually manifest into forms of illness, meal refusal, and other conditions. But this can easily be avoided. All you have to do is offer your snake some hiding areas within its cage. This is one of the most important pet snake supplies you need, but it's also one of the most affordable. In fact, you might not even have to spend any at all. Many household items can be turned into suiting hideable areas. Number four is water bowls. Your pet snake should be able to drink water whenever it wants. This means you have fresh drinking water available at all times, so you'll need to purchase a water bowl for the animal. You also need to choose a substrate for your pet. When shopping for pet snake supplies, you'll eventually have to choose what kind of substrate you want to put in the cage. The substrate is some, simply the material that lines the bottom of the enclosure. Some snake keepers use newspaper, and some use compressed mulch, or cypress mulch, and others use aspen shavings. These are all suitable substrate materials for a pet snake, but they do have certain pros and cons associated with them. You must consider the specific care requirements for the species you are keeping, as this may influence the type of substrate you choose. For example, a subtropical snake that needs a higher amount of humidity will do better on cypress mulch than it would on aspen shavings. The cypress mulch would inc increase the relative humidity inside the cage, while the wood shavings would probably make the cage drier. This is one of the reasons you need to research the care requirements for your snake. You need to find out what it needs in order to thrive in captivity, and then you need to provide those things when creating the habitat. Another thing is lighting products. All of the pet snake supplies we've discussed so far, lighting products create the most confusion amongst first-time keepers. There are a lot of mixed information on the internet about snakes and UV lights, as well as a good deal of misinformation. So let me simplify it for you. Certain types of reptiles need ultraviolet light in order to be healthy. UVB lights, in particular, is essential to the health of these reptiles. For example, chameleons and bearded dragons both require UV lighting for their general health. Snakes, however, do not require as much UV light. In fact, most snakes can live a long life without supplemental lighting at all. With that being said, I firmly believe that snakes benefit from having UV lights because they are exposed to it in the wild. In addition to health benefits from UVB lighting, it also helps you create a light cycle for your snake. If the cage is located in a room that gets a lot of natural light through the windows, you have a pretty good light cycle already. But if the room is dark, your snake will benefit from several hours of supplemental lighting each day. All of the snake cages have fluorescent light fixtures on top with bulbs that emit UVB lights. And these help the snake live a perfect fine life. 
Unfortunately, that's all the time I have for this episode, so tune in next time where I give you more tips and tricks to keep your furry or scaly friends happy, healthy, and safe. Until then, back to Dr. T, where your vet matters. I'm your producer, Wade Buchanan, and I will see you all in the next one. Stay safe, everyone. That was today's segment of Producers Pet Project. Your one stop for all things pet news, recall alerts, adoption services, and more. Be sure to tune in next time. And for a more in-depth conversation, listen to Your Pet Matters with Dr. T every Saturday morning at 10 a.m. Producers Pet Project is underwritten in part by Progressive Veterinary Care. Only on 1077 The Bronx. We're back with Your Pet Matters with Dr. T of Progressive Veterinary Care, discussing everything you need to know to keep your furry friends happy, healthy, and safe. Only on 1077 The Bronx. Okay, it's Dr. T right here on your listening channel. And I wanted to discuss the whole concept of how seeing is believing, that whole concept, and how it's actually hindering the pet parent's ability to understand potential pet health hazards that may be happening. So we often hear that term, I have to see it to believe it. And in many cases like, you know, paranormal activity, UFO sightings, Bigfoot, Loch Ness Monster. Yes, you know, I honestly, I would agree that many times we need to see that they exist to believe. Uh, I don't want to discuss religion or anything like that because this this is not what that show is about. That's that's faith and what you believe in is what you believe in. But this this show is about healthcare. So how that seeing is believing concept is taken in that many veterinarians they struggle with the fact that pet parents often do not follow up on recommendations for things like well simple blood work. Um, to look at early changes in disease function, even heartworm testing, which is a blood test. Um, Cardiac workups is huge. I think it's huge. And even things like pain management, we often hear that term, well, I don't don't think they're in pain. They're not showing me they're in pain. Uh, He or she looks fine to me. Those are typical comments that we face. So, you know, I I think those, those areas of health that pet parents definitely see are they, they see things like they see a limping pet, they see a mass, they see a cut, they see shaking the head, they see diarrhea. Well, sometimes they don't because the pets are going outside. They see a cat struggle to go in and out of the litter box. They see their pet's eyes squinting and tearing. They see a lethargic pet or a pet that's not able to move. They'll see an older older dog with its eyes spinning, head tilted, and just spinning around. Um, and one area that we will probably touch is that they you don't really see dental disease, but you certainly do smell it. And I'll, I'll touch on why you don't see it. So right now, I want you to think, I want you pet parents to think about the way I and many veterinarians see things. We... we we see things as a means of early detection and prevention of disease process. So basically, I don't want you to see open mouth breathing in a cat in late stages of, of cardiac failure. I don't want you to see the chronic vomiting and lethar- lethargy that you know late stages of kidney disease produces. I don't even want you to, to see the 
the severe lethargy and vomiting and diarrhea that a foreign body can cause because it left was left unchecked. I don't want to see your pet go blind because they had high blood pressure that was left unchecked. And I don't want your pet to, to, I don't want you to witness your pet waste away due to a potential mass that we can't see that's within the body that we could have detected earlier. So, so let's, let's talk about some of those diseases that we cannot see and that your veterinarian wants you to look at and work up before things get too late. And I think one of the big, big ones is cardiac disease. One of the biggies is cardiac disease. So part of a general physical exam is, no matter whether you go to your human doctor or your veterinarian, is they listen to the chest. And in early stages, so remember this concept, in early stages of cardiac disease, you may hear a heart murmur but you may notice nothing clinically. So your veterinarian's there listening to the heart and you pick up a murmur and you, and you grade it anywhere from one through six where one is very mild and six is not very mild, it's very bad. So typically if you veterinarian's been knowing your pet from day one and, well, there's two scenarios. A, a, young, a young pet can have a murmur that sometimes goes away. Um, but typically, if we're talking about acquired cardiac disease, so something that develops later in life in mature adults. So if for several years nothing was picked up and all of a sudden your, your veterinarian is hearing a murmur, they'll probably list it as grade one or grade two. And they'll say, listen, I need a cardiac workup. And you pet parents are going to be sitting there going, what? There's, there's nothing wrong with the pet. There's, there, you know, they don't have heart disease because I know what heart disease is. They'll be They'll be really lethargic. They can't catch their breath and everything like that. No. So the whole concept is you don't see it. You don't see that murmur. But disease progresses. It gets worse as time goes on. So that's one concept I want you to remember. And the other concept I want you to remember is, and this doesn't just all pertain to cardiac disease. It pertains to disease and process, in disease in general, is that there's this term called compensation. So if we use cardiac disease as an example, your pet can compensate. In other words, disease can progress, but you're not noticing any clinical changes until that disease reaches the threshold where there's about 50 to 65% of normal function lost in that organ. And that's when things hit and they start to show clinical signs, and they show clinical signs. It appears that it happens overnight, and it appears hard and fast. And so that those are the two concepts. Diseases progress, and a pet can be compensated until a certain point. So we, as veterinarians, we want to intervene. We want to go in there. And so we'll say a cardiac workup. Well, what's a cardiac workup? Well, cardiac workup consists of doing a blood pressure, looking for hypertension, because that is also not visible, doing an ECG electrocardiogram, looking at the electrical activity of the heart, and doing chest radiographs to look at actually at the heart itself, and you can see if chambers are enlarged or the vessels are out of, of sync of what they're supposed to be. And the best workup you could ever get is getting a veterinary cardiologist to look at the heart with an ultrasound. They can look, they can measure the size of the chambers, they can look at how the valves are working, they can even use color Doppler to look at how the blood flows. Um, and look at how the blood flows from the heart to the lungs and from the rest of the body back to the heart. 
and a cardiac workup will determine a baseline in a in a in a pet that is compensated. So it'll be a baseline so that as things progress, well, later on we can compare the two values and, and go from there, and it will determine if medications are needed. Okay, so that's that's one thing. And so you know, hypertension is picked up by doing a blood pressure, but sometimes we can correlate hypertension with eye pressure changes. So a lot of senior workups involve looking at eye pressure, looking inside the eye, seeing how that optic disc, where all the nerve bundles of the optic nerve that go on the back of the retina look, we can see the vessels in there and see if they're engorged or anything like that. That can help determine if your pet is is hypertensive or not. And oftentimes, even doing something like urine. Well, how, how does urine and hypertension link together? Well, Urine, if there's a lot of protein spilling in the urine, uh, we do what's called a urine-protein-creatinine ratio, a, a UPC. And if we get consistency in that, where there's a high proteinuria, many times hypertension is one of the causes of that. So we actually treat that urine issue with cardiac drugs. Another silent disease in my neck of the woods is Lyme disease. And Lyme disease in 20% of pets that are actively infected with Lyme disease may actually not show any clinical signs, but it can have de devastating effects if left untreated. So how does your veterinarian want to look at Lyme disease? That's where that blood test comes into play, looking for um, the antibodies for Lyme disease in your pet. And a lot of people don't even want to get that done, but I'm telling you, you never, there's a joke in the vet world, we never see the tick that caused the disease. And I, I myself got Lyme disease. I don't even know how. I don't even know how I got Lyme disease, but clearly I was bitten by infected tech. Tick, not tech. <laughs> tick. Um, and the other thing I want to talk about are things like heartworm. Heartworm is silent. It's spread by mosquitoes. The worm gets in the, the blood supply. And it, it's not clinical until you're into right heart failure, until the worms are so large they're causing cardiac disease. How do we test for heartworm? We do a blood test. How, we can prevent it with the heartworm prevention, but it is one of those silent things till it is too late. Masses, those soft masses that some pets go, oh, it's just a fat tumor, just don't worry about it. Those some masses can actually be one of the most common cancers in pets. It's called a mast cell tumor. And if left unchecked, it can spread, it can cause irritation, and many times if left unchecked and it grows, it can grow too large to actually do something about because you have to take large margins when you do it. So how do we look at a, a mass and make sure it's not good? Well, we aspirate it, and we look at the cytology. We put those cells on a slide and look for abnormal cellular structure there. And the last thing I want to talk about is dental disease. So like I said, you really don't see dental disease. And what do I mean by that? Well, A, many people can't really look well in their pet's mouth, especially cat parrots. But B, a lot of times you have dogs that go and get groomed often and, the, and their teeth are scraped. And I, you ever wonder why a dog can have nice pearly white teeth and yet their breath smells horrendous? 40% of the tooth is visible, that's it. 60% is under the gum line. And so in many cases where I'm doing a physical exam and I'm smelling that, that dog's breath and I look at the teeth and they look beautiful, I know that they've been scraped. Well, sometimes we can see evidence that there's scraping going on, but I also know there's underlying dental disease because that 60% underneath the gum line is it's probably infected teeth. 
And that's something that we just don't, you know, you don't see it. You certainly smell it, but you don't see it. And so that's why we perform dental procedures. And that's why when you go to the dentist, they take x-rays of your teeth because they want to look at underlying disease processes. So that's my take on seeing is really not believing. Believing in your vet is faith. Oh my God, I just came up with that. So I think it's, I think it's, it's really good that, you know, seeing is always not believing because what you see is ac- actually not what's happening in many disease processes. Um, and your veterinary can help you through that, can help open your eyes to understanding your pet's health. Wow. That's awesome. Okay, we'll take a short break and we'll come back right after this. That was Your Pet Matters with Dr. T of Progressive Veterinary Care. You can tune in right here every Saturday at 10 a.m. Or to hear more right now, you can go to 1077thebronc.com slash yourpetmatters, where you can download past episodes as podcasts on your favorite platform like Apple, Google, Spotify, and more. Your Pet Matters is underwritten by Progressive Veterinary Care, 390 County Road, Route 518, Skillman. For more information online, it's ProgressiveVeterinaryCare.com. We'll see you next time, only on 1077 The Bronx.